If you have a Bible, you can open to 1 John chapter 1. We'll look at verses 5 through 7, and the text is printed in the bulletin for you. If you hear terrible screaming coming from the back, it's because our uh, baby girl, Jubilee, learned how to really use her voice this last week <laughs> to get what she wants. So um, just be prepared for that. <clears throat> um, so 1 John is a letter about assurance. We opened last week. It's the first... Uh, the first sermon in a series, a new series on First John was last week, and we talked about how John is writing his letter in general um, to assure Christians, to assure believers in the church that they really do have a relationship with God, that they really do uh, know God. And so um, there's kind of a summary verse at the end of First John in chapter 5, verse 13. It says, I write these things to you, to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. So that's what uh, assurance is. That's the way uh, we're talking about it this morning. Um, it's kind of the category in Christian thought for being really persuaded and really comforted and really believing and trusting that you do have a relationship with God, that you do know God. And so um, assurance, that you know, having assurance or being assured really is just a, it's another word for having a strong faith. Uh, it's another way to talk about having a, a well-informed, well-thought-through, uh, persuaded, you're, you're persuaded in your heart, right, to have that assurance, to have that strong faith. And so a lack of assurance just basically kind of boils down to doubt. You're just not sure, um, particularly um, about uh, whether you are a Christian, um, whether you do have a relationship with God. Uh, as it says in Hebrews 11, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So uh, it's a pretty common experience for Christians to struggle with assurance. It's very common. I think um, if you're a Christian, if you've been a Christian for a while, you've probably wondered at times, uh, am I really a Christian? You've probably struggled with assurance. Um, why is that? Why is that almost a universal experience for, for Christians? Why is it that we struggle with assurance? Why do people doubt whether or not they have a, a real relationship with God? Um, might be able to say several things about it. We'll be talking about it quite a bit over the next uh, several months. But um, ultimately, I think we struggle with assurance because it's actually possible not to know God, right? That's kind of what it boils down to. It's actually possible, and even more uh, than that, it's, it's actually possible to think you know God when you really don't. That's kind of the unfortunate reality that we see uh, in the Scriptures and in, in our lives the reality is you might have good reason to doubt whether you have a relationship with God, right? You might have good reason to doubt your relationship with God. Uh, when you have a real God, he's a particular God, he's a definite God, he's not just some figment of your own imagination, he's some deity you've invented to suit your own preferences, your own tastes, but a real God, then clearly there can actually be a question about whether you really know him. Can't there? Um, assurance has to take that possibility into consideration, doesn't it? If you're going to be fully assured, you have to consider the fact maybe you shouldn't be assured. Right? There is that possibility, and it's got to deal with that possibility if you're going to have assurance. If you're going to be assured of your standing with a real God, with this God, with the God of the Scriptures, uh, then you have to address a potential alternative that for some reason you might be wrong about that relationship. Right? You might be mistaken, misled, uh, self-deceived. 
Um, that's realistic, isn't it? I mean, normal everyday experience confirms this for us. It attests to this. Um, for example, you might not have a real personal relationship with the President of the United States, right? You might not actually have a personal relationship with him. But if you actually do, then you can be assured that you do by pointing out a few things, right, that normally accompany such relationships, some ways in which your life would be different by your actually knowing him, right? Uh, if you don't exhibit any evidence of ever having met him or spoken with him, then, um, then you should not be assured that you actually have a relationship with him, right? Um, so John, when he's writing to assure the churches and the Christians that they really do have a relationship with God, he doesn't just issue a blanket statement up front assuring everyone without distinction that they do have fellowship with God, right? Uh, he starts out by noting the possibility that we might be fooling ourselves. He addresses the possibility that you might be wrong about having a relationship with God. And the reason that he's doing this is because there were specific people in the historical context um, who held views, they taught these specific views that were incompatible with this real God, which ultimately caused confusion and doubt uh, throughout the churches. So in seeking to assure the true believers, he's pointing out what is false, what is error, what is deceptive about the message of these people, because you've got to deal with those things if you're going to have real assurance, right? You've got to address those things. And so John's emphasizing the importance of truth when it comes to really having and really knowing that you have a relationship with God. Uh, and so he addresses a few different facets of the false teachings that were going on uh, just in these, um, these verses through the early part of chapter 2. Um, you know, so the next few weeks, we're going to look at some of these facets kind of one at a time. But this morning, we're going to consider the fact that, um, that our lives have to line up. And our, that means kind of our, our faith, like what we believe and the way that we live, you know, our practice, our obedience. Uh, those things have to line up with the reality of who God is, who God has revealed himself to be. And if it's true that you know God, your life cannot utterly contradict what it would normally mean to know God, right? Uh, the reality of who he is, who he's revealed himself to be. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. <clears throat> Let me pray, and then uh, we'll read the scripture. Father, um, we are glad to be your children by your grace. It's a, it's a startling thing, at least uh, a terrifying and painful thing, at worst, to stand exposed by your word, by your truth, by what you have to say to us about ourselves and our relationship with you. And um, we pray that you would give us comfort, that you would uh, help us to know with assurance that we truly are in relationship with you. And um, if there are any of us here this morning that are not uh, in relationship with you, we pray that you would draw us into relationship with you by your grace through Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. First John 1, starting in verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, 
we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, um, another three-point outline for you. This is maybe going to become a more common practice. I don't know. We'll see. It's really hard for me to be creative about this stuff. It's not very creative, really. It's just kind of what's there in the text, mainly. Um, but at least you'll know where we're going. So the three points that we're going to talk about this morning, what it means that God is light. That's a pretty profound statement that can be very confusing. Uh, what it means that God is light, how we can be wrong about having a relationship with him, and then how we can walk in the light as he is in the light and know that we do have a relationship with him. Right. So uh, what it means that God is light, how we can be wrong about that relationship, and then how we can walk in the light. So <clears throat> um, first, you know, what it means that God is light. Um, this is some more of that strange language that John likes to use. If you're familiar with the New Testament at all, uh, I think maybe you'll sense the different uh, writing style between apostles like John and Paul. Right? So uh, he likes to use this language that is, uh, sorry, I didn't really spend a lot of time this week trying to figure out what this language is called. It's more than metaphorical. It's kind of spiritual language where he identifies persons of the Trinity. He identifies person, you know, God is a Trinity. God is triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God whose essence, whose being is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he identifies these persons with language like life, like Jesus is life. Uh, God is love. God is spirit. Or the, the Holy Spirit is the anointing. You know, this is not standard language that we use to describe our friends, generally, uh, but this is language that John is using to describe the Trinity. And when he says God is light, it's a very profound statement. He's not saying that God is, like, bright, right, that he's shiny, um, that he's radiating. He is, the. I mean, there's a sense in he's radiant, right? He's glorious, and uh, you can talk about that in terms of light, the symbol. Uh, uh, symbolism that we see in the scriptures often has God just being a bright, shining figure. Um, but while that, that may be true, he's not just saying that God is like the source of light. Right? He's not just saying he's the source of light. He's not just saying that God is in the light or that he gives light. He does say God is in the light in verse 7, but here he's saying that God is light. God is light. And we could probably find Several similarities between you know, the modern scientific understanding of what light is, the properties of light, and God's properties, God's characteristics, attributes. You could probably find some similarities there, but uh, you may be reading into the text what was not intended. Uh, but, and aside from that, John doesn't even say God is like light. He doesn't say there's similarities. He says uh, God is light. And if you... Uh, it's not too difficult to make a positive statement about what that means when you're familiar with the Old Testament. Uh, when you see the symbolism of light as it's used in the Old Testament scriptures, it's used mainly in two ways. And John Stott sums these up pretty well in his commentary, which is a great commentary on First uh, John. Um, John Stott says, intellectually, light is truth and darkness, ignorance or error. And morally, light is purity and darkness evil. Right, so those are two contrasts, light and darkness, that we see throughout the scriptures. Intellectually, light is truth. Uh, 
and morally light is purity. And it's pretty clear from the text that John understands light in these categories. He uses light that way. Uh, and not just in his epistle, not just in the letter, but in the gospel as well. <clears throat> so for John to say that God is light is to highlight the essential nature of God. This is who he really is. The essential nature of God as being both the revealer of truth and being morally pure, morally righteous. That's what he means when he says God is light. And those are real qualities of this real particular God, right? He reveals first. He's the, the God of revelation. He discloses true information about himself to us. He speaks to us. He discloses himself to us in the person of his son. He's made himself known in Jesus Christ. He moves toward us. He gives us knowledge about himself that we're going to need if we're going to have a relationship with him. If we're going to truly know him, he needs to reveal himself to us, right? And he's the kind of God who looks at this world, and he looks at miserable people like us who are estranged from him because of our rebellion against him, because of our autonomy from him. He looks at people like us, and he moves toward us with his revelation. He moves toward us in love to disclose himself to us, and he's done it most significantly through Jesus coming into the world, right? Uh, because Jesus is God. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. He's the Son of God coming into the world as a human. And it says in John's Gospel, in chapter 1, it says, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. It's talking about Jesus. <clears throat> and Jesus says about himself in John 8, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So, um, so when you know Jesus, then, because he is light, he's the light coming into the world, he's the light that gives light to every man uh, and woman, and, gives, and that light brings life. When you know Jesus, you know God as he truly is, so that you can have a relationship with him because God is light, <clears throat> because he reveals the truth about himself to you in Jesus. And you come to know Jesus who is the light of the world through the light of the scriptures, right? uh, the revelation of God that's written down for us. That's where we learn about God. That's where we learn about Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world. So God is not the kind of God that keeps you guessing about who he is. He's not the kind of God that uh, allows you to come up with your own ideas about who he is. But he doesn't keep you guessing. He doesn't keep you in the dark about his true nature. He's not just some kind of nebulous God that you can just make up according to your own fancy. Right? He's revealed himself, really. He is a particular God, and he reveals himself to you, and you can learn about him in the Bible because he is light. And God being light also then means that God is pure, right? So he's truth in that one sense and purity in the other sense, and that means that he's 100% without blemish, without stain, without wrinkle, without shadow, perfectly righteous, right? Uh, in him is no darkness at all, John says. No darkness at all. So what happens <clears throat> when light shines into a dark room? Uh, they cannot coexist. Right? The light eradicates the darkness. You've got either the one or the other, right? Um, and that's how God's righteousness works. Uh, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6, he says, what fellowship has light with darkness? 
right? The morally pure and righteous with the impure and the wicked and the unrighteous, right? Um, you cannot have 99.9% purity because if it's not 100%, it's not pure, right? Maybe you've heard that illustration. You've got a glass of clean water and it's full of just great clean water and you put one drop of poison in it. <laughs> it's no longer pure, right? It's no longer clean. So you can't have purity with any kind of mixture. With God, he is light. There's no darkness at all. And he's talking about righteousness. So uh, with God, it's, it is not in his nature to tolerate unrighteousness, to fellowship with unrighteousness. It's not in his nature to do that. If he permitted it, either in himself or in those with whom he has fellowship, then he would be impure, not pure. He would not be light. There would be darkness. Uh, there would be a shadow of darkness. He would have moral darkness. But he is light, and there's no darkness in him at all. And that's who he really is. That's what he's told us about himself. That's what he has demonstrated about himself in the person of Jesus Christ, because Jesus was morally pure. He never sinned. We cannot even understand what that means, <laughs> that he never sinned. We don't know what it means to be someone who never sins. But that's Jesus. He never violated the character of God, the will of God, the law of God. Never. In every respect, he was tempted as we are, but without sin, it says in Hebrews chapter 4. So according to the standard that God himself has revealed in his law, which is holy and just and pure, Jesus was pure, uncontaminated by sin. No mixture, no darkness, right? Um, now that may be troubling to people who know themselves to be sinners. That's probably troubling, if you're, if you're thinking about it, it's probably troubling. If light and darkness don't mix, and God is light, and I've got darkness, how can I have a relationship with him? We'll talk about that in a few minutes. But for now, I mainly wanted to point out that God being light in these ways means that God is a particular knowable God with certain characteristics. Right? That's who he is. Uh, that is to say, he's a real God, and he's a personal God, and true relationship with him will be a definite, specific thing, right, according to who he is, who he's revealed himself to be, <clears throat> and what he is like. And so all John is doing is pointing out what is really logically obvious, right? If you say that you know this God, and your life doesn't line up with that, then you're just making stuff up. Um, if we say, he says in verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So that kind of leads into our second point. How can we be wrong about this relationship, about having a relationship with God? How can we be mistaken about that or deceiving ourselves, dishonest about that? How can we be wrong about that? If God being light means primarily those two things, truth, his revelation of truth, about himself and purity, righteousness, um, then if those don't characterize our knowledge of him, and throughout the scriptures, knowledge of a person means relational knowledge, right? Uh, if, if truth and purity don't characterize the way that we interact with God and what we base our relationship with God on, we would be lying to say that we knew him, right? to say that we had relationship with him. If you don't base your relationship with God on his revealed truth, 
then how can you say you know anything about him? Right? If you live an unrighteous life, how can you say that you have fellowship with him? That's what John's saying. So <clears throat> now the answers to those questions should seem obvious, right? It's kind of logical. You say you know this God and you totally live like you don't. It should be obvious, but John's pointing out that people do this and they still fool themselves into thinking that they do have a relationship with him, right? That we lie to ourselves, it says. It's like saying, um, to use that illustration again, it's like saying you have a relationship with the president of the United States, saying that his, <clears throat> his skin is blue and his hair is pink, and you're really great friends with him, but you keep trying to kill his family. There's a disconnect there, right? Uh, you should not have much assurance that you have a relationship with him, if that's what you think about him, if that's what you do in relationship with him. And so um, if you do say that you have a relationship with him, then you're, you're lying, right? And you're lying to yourself. So with God, there are a lot of people in the world who call themselves spiritual, who might articulate that in terms of having a relationship with a deity, right, with a higher power, with God, uh, who call themselves spiritual but reject Jesus as the incarnate son, who reject Jesus as the one who reveals God to us. Um, there are a lot of people who consider themselves spiritual who think that biblical morality is oppressive and restrictive. There are a lot of people who call themselves spiritual who basically assume I'm right about God because I am me. Um, there's a lot of people who consider themselves spiritual who think that satisfying bodily appetites is uh, healthy spiritually, uh, who think that people are fundamentally good rather than evil, uh, who think that all religions will get you to the same place in the end. Right? There are a lot of people in the church a lot of people in the church who think that uh, the thing people need most is greater self-esteem. Uh, a lot of people in the church who can't stand it when preachers talk about certain sins. Right? Um, people in the church who think that their little secret addictive sin is really not a big deal. Right? Uh, who think, uh, or who cut up their Bibles to get rid of the parts that they don't like. Right? Who dismiss this part of God's word. Um, people in the church who get bored at church because these people are all idiots. No one gets God like I do. Right? Um, people in the church who pass off their disdain for others as heroic conviction, who, um, whose lives are full of rebellion against God's explicit law, which rebellion they've mistaken in themselves for enlightenment. There's a lot of people in the church who claim to have a healthy, vibrant, spiritual relationship with God and do those things, and you can't do that. You can't believe those things, right? Those are lies. You're not practicing the truth, and it's bad news for you when you do that. Uh, as Tim read in Isaiah 5 in our Old Testament reading, woe to those who call evil good and good evil who put darkness for light and light for darkness. 
who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe, woe to those. You can't say you have a relationship with the God who is light when you think it doesn't matter whether or not you live in the light. When you don't care at all for the light of his revelation or the light of his purity, if you're going to be assured that you really do know God, then first, you really do have to know God, right? That makes sense. Um, and the good news is that because God is light, you really can know him. You really can. Anybody can. So the third point, how can we walk in the light as he is in the light? It says in verse 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So let me just say, first, this doesn't mean that if you become pure, you will deserve a relationship with God. We don't believe that. That's not what Christianity teaches. You don't enter into a relationship with God by cleaning yourself up for him, by becoming pure. That's not what this is saying. And John's not saying that when you walk in the light, you will be perfectly pure. He's not saying that that's possible. And that's not what he's talking about. The blood of Jesus, his son, is required to cleanse us from all sin, it says. You need forgiveness. You will always need forgiveness. You will always be dependent on God's mercy. So what John is saying is that if you walk in the light, as he is in the light, then it shows that you have forgiveness. It shows that you have the cleansing that you need. It shows that you know who God truly is, and he's a God of light. He's a God of truth and love and grace, right? Walking in the light does not achieve relationship with God. That's not what John's saying. Walking in the light does not achieve relationship with God. Walking in the light proves, uh, proves and demonstrates relationship with God. Right? If you walk in the light as God is in the light, then you can be assured that you really do know him. You do know him. Walking in the light, then, means living in, in light of God's truth and his purity. And the very first thing that, that means is that... Um, you've heard the truth about him in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right? The very first thing it means to walk in the light means that you know him as the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You've heard that Jesus is the full revelation of God, that he's come into the world not to condemn the world, but to save it through his love, through his life, through his death on the cross, through his resurrection, through his ruling over all things as the Lord of heaven and earth. John Stott says that uh, Christianity is the only religion which, by emphasizing that God is light, first insists on taking sin seriously and then offers a satisfactory moral solution to the problem of sin. Right? So if God is light, if he is pure, and he tolerates no contamination, no impurity, no unholiness, no unrighteousness, no sin, then how can sinners be reconciled to him? How can anyone have fellowship with him? Right? The atonement that Jesus Christ accomplished through his death on the cross is the only solution to that problem. It's the only thing that shows what that problem really is. It's a really big problem because it required the death of the Son of God in our place if we're going to be reconciled to him. Sin is that big of a problem. 
And not only does it demonstrate the nature of the problem, but it shows forth it is the atonement, it's the solution that God has provided to that problem. His blood, His pure life poured out to the very last drop, His perfect righteousness is a covering for us. That's what the Old Testament picture, when you go into the temple and you take the blood of the offering, you've killed an animal, you take its blood and you take it in to the Ark of the Covenant, to the mercy seat, and you put it on the mercy seat so that God can have fellowship with His people and not destroy them. What you're doing is you're, you're covering the sins, you're covering the, the disobedience, the lawlessness, you're covering the sins of the people with the blood of a sacrifice, right? So that the people don't suffer for their sins. Their suffering was done by the animal who was slain. And um, with Jesus, it was done once and for all because he's the true sacrifice. He's the true substitute for us. His blood covers us so that we can stand in God's presence forgiven and considered pure in Christ. So that for us to be drawn into relationship with God now, there is no contamination. There is no mixture because you are pure, because your sins have been cleansed by the blood of Christ. Even though in and of yourselves you are impure, he freely bestows the purity of his own son on you. And that's the gospel, right? So walking in the light means embracing this gospel, this good news, this message, as it has been revealed to us by God himself. And uh, Paul wrote, again, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, that God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, which is how he uh, began the creation of the world, let light shine out of darkness. That God who said that has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You know God by knowing Jesus Christ, and that is glorious, that is light, that is revelation, that's knowledge of God. You cannot say that you know God and reject the gospel of Jesus Christ. Dismiss who Jesus is and what he's done for you. You can't say you know God unless you accept Christ. And walking in the light then means opening yourself up to that truth to acknowledge that you need him, right? Uh, If you're going to be reconciled to him, you need him to acknowledge that you've been in the dark and you need to be brought into the light. You've been uh, sinning and you need cleansing. You need forgiveness, right? So G.K. Chesterton said that, uh, I think it goes well with this concept of walking in the light, acknowledging the truth, letting the truth shine on you. When a man really tells the truth, the first truth he tells is that he himself is a liar. G.K. Chesterton, when when a man really tells the truth, the first truth he tells is that he himself is a liar. It's a confession of sin, right? When you walk into the light, you're bringing your darkness there. You're bringing your need for his cleansing. Jesus said in John chapter 3, everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So the light of God's truth, the light of God's revelation about himself and about who you are, which you and I just naturally are not really willing to accept who we really are, um, the light of God's truth needs to come into your life, into your heart, into your soul, like throwing open the windows and the curtains in a dark, musty, moldy room so that the sunlight and the fresh air 
can eradicate what's there, what grows in the dark. You need to open up your soul to God that way. That exposure is painful at first. (laughs) Really, it continues to be painful. It's very difficult for any of us, uh, whether you've been Christian for a long time or not. it's, It's difficult to confess your sins and let God examine your heart, what's really going on inside of you, in order to eradicate the darkness there. It's like death because it is death, right? It's death. It's killing the sin that lives in us. It's killing the things that we love that are not God. It's killing the things that we love about ourselves that are not pure and holy. So it's like death. It's very painful, this exposure, this embracing the light, because we keep stuff about ourselves hidden away from everyone, including ourselves, right? We, we fool ourselves because it's too ugly to bear what's inside of us. And we think that if people really knew what was inside of us, they would reject us. We wouldn't be able to live with ourselves if we knew what was really inside of us. And generally speaking, we'd be right. You'll find a lot of rejection in this world if people really knew who you were, what was going on inside of you, in your thoughts, in your heart, right? You'd find a lot of rejection in this world. But Paul Tripp says, you need never to fear what, facing what's inside of you because it's all been fully covered by the blood of Jesus. You don't need to be afraid of it because it's been taken care of. Right? God has said, <clears throat> even though you find a lot of rejection in this world because of who you are, God has said he knows you thoroughly. He knows you all the way down better than you can ever know yourself, and he loves you anyway. He sent his son, Jesus, to die for you, which proves his love to you, even though you are who you are. Right? Um, he's proven his love to you by giving you his son, even though you don't deserve it, even though when he came into the world, you know, we killed him. That's what kind of rebels we are. Um, but he loves us. And, and Walker Percy said that we love those who know the worst of us and don't turn their faces away. Yeah. <clears throat> and God knows the worst about you, but he doesn't turn his face away. In his mercy, he turned his face away from his own son so that you would be fully accepted in spite of all of your sin. It's what it means that God is light, what it means to embrace the light, that he'll never turn his face away from you. He looks on you with a beaming smile of satisfaction. As he looks, as the the heavenly, eternal, perfect father looks on the eternal, perfect, divine son. That's the way, that's the way that God looks at you because of Jesus Christ. So you can look into the dark corners of your soul without fear. and know that in light of God's mercy, whatever you find there, it's forgiven. It's taken care of. There's no more guilt. There's no more shame. None at all. That God has received you as purified by the blood of his son, Jesus. Once you start to come into alignment with the, the light of this truth, this is the truth of the gospel, the truth that God has revealed to us, you will start to radiate then the light of purity as God is pure. Knowing that God has purified you in Christ has a purifying effect on your life. You start to live differently, as if you actually had a relationship with this God, (laughs) right? Because you do. You you start to submit your will to his law, to his perfect law. More than submit, you start to even delight in it. Um, You start to lose yourself in contemplation of him, his glory. That's humility, right? You're losing yourself in him. 
You start to consider others more significant than yourself. You start to truly be able to love other people. Because that's what God is like, and God is alive in you. And that's what the light of God's truth and the light of God's purity does inside of you. You start to delight in faithfulness and generosity and helping others. Not to do those things begrudgingly or hesitate, you know, to delight in those things. To give yourself to others. You start to enjoy even coming to church, right? To hear the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and to celebrate it in fellowship with other believers. That's what John's talking about when he says, if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another. We have fellowship with one another. And if this is true of you, at least to some degree, right, just some little degree, some little sliver of it uh, is true, and if it's growing in you, then... um, then that is good reassuring proof that you really do know God. That you really have a relationship with him through Jesus Christ. Uh, if, you're worried, if you're worried that these things aren't true of you at all, then uh, come talk to me. It might be that you should be worried. Right? It might be that you've been walking in darkness, but the good news is all you have to do is step into the light, and he's right there. He's right there. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the assurance, the full assurance of your love that we see in the face of your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray that you would help us truly to know you through him more, uh, more deeply, with more clarity, uh, more relationally and more lovingly, that you would attach us to yourself in relationship with yourself through Jesus Christ. And uh, it's in his name that we come and ask that uh, this, is our, this is our highest hope. It's our only hope for knowing you, for eternal life, for uh, being able to stand in your presence without fear but with great joy and peace is to know you through Jesus Christ. And so we pray that you would make that true for every soul here. And if it's not true, Lord, um, would you be gentle with us? Would you make it true? Would you um, bring us to a place where we are walking into the light, where we're able to confess our sins to you, where we're able to confess our need for your mercy in Christ, and where we're able finally to throw ourselves on that mercy and trust in you. Uh, You are trustworthy, so we pray that you would help us in Jesus' name. Amen.